Well, good morning. I'm very excited to be talking today about the fivefold teacher. And I'm stoked about this. It feels very meta right now. What are we doing today? We're teaching about teaching. It feels redundant. This is like inception level message work right here. Um, and I, as usual, I would like to start with a story. Uh, as a teacher too, we, part of what we're doing with the fivefold gifts is we want people who really embody that, that fivefold gift to be the ones that talk about it. So when I took my assessment, my very detailed assessment, I was 41% apostle, 39% teacher. So I'm real close between those two. So this is like my other strong suit. So story time. I think I learned I was a teacher in high school. I was a very quiet kid. That may surprise some of you. I did not speak a word to anybody. I was perfectly content to sit in the corner with my Game Boy for like weeks at a time. Not even kidding. So in high school, I was a very quiet, shy kid. I got literally dragged into choir because someone found out I could sing. So now I'm in choir against my will. And this is, I think, my junior year of high school. And uh, we're rehearsing for what's called the Pops concert. It's choir kids. Usually we're, we're singers. We just stand on stage and sing. We don't dance. We don't act. We're just there to sing. But during the Pops concert, we would dance. We would actually come up with some choreography. And the Pops concert was called that because we're singing popular music. So we're not singing these old ancient hymnals and madrigal songs. We're singing like Hairspray, the musical, and like, you know, well, like Joseph and whatever it is. So it's more popular music. And that would come with some choreography. Now, at this point, we did not have an assigned choreographer. But as we're rehearsing the music and singing it, we sing this part and there's this hit. And then I giggled to myself. And my choir director stops the rehearsal, says, hey, Danny, what's so funny? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to distract. I was just like, I just had this picture in my head of what it might look like if we were dancing. And it just, it's stupid. Don't, never mind. And he's like, cool. Well, I'm excited to see what it is because you're our new choreographer. Let's get back to it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I didn't, I had a thought. It was not a thing. He's like, yeah, okay. Well, see you in my office tomorrow. Okay, let's go. And back to something. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not qualified to do this. I have no interest or ability to do this. Like, this would be a terrible idea to put me as the choreographer when I've never danced before. Like, I've done musical theater. I've been taught some dance but it's like not training or technique. Like I am so underqualified for this position. And he's like, well, you're all I got. So you're hired. And <laughs> so then I like went home the whole day. I was like shell shocked. I'm like, oh no, like what, what am I going to do? Like I'm a shy kid who has no idea how to dance. And now I'm in charge of coming up with the choreography for all of my classmates. You think about how difficult it is to like do something risky in front of your peers, but it's like, I'm going to have to instruct all of my peers and they're going to have to be on stage performing what I come up with. Like this is just a train wreck waiting to happen. But I think this is also the first time I realized that I like doing a good job. So I'm like, well, if I'm committed to this and I'm stuck in this, I may as well do my best to figure it out. So my fivefold teacher kicks in and say, okay, now I have to first start with asking a question. And that question is, how do we make these kids look good on stage? That's a very good question. And then you begin to say, okay, that's what I'm after. How do we look good on stage? Then I begin to explore. I look at other dances on YouTube of other high schools that they've done or Broadway musical recordings of like how the choreography looks. And I think about the amount of people we have, the way that the music is set up. And I just start exploring all the different possibilities that it could be. And then I come up with a hypothesis, which is, I think this will look good. Now thinking something will look good is not the end of the journey, but it's a good start. Once I think, I think this will look good, then before I can teach the choreography, I first have to mirror it myself. So it has to move from my head into my body. 
And this choreography is such a perfect example for this because I have an idea of what's gonna look good, but now I have to live it out. I have to say, okay, if we like step, snap, that's gonna look good. And then I look in the mirror and I do that move, bam. And I think that actually does look pretty good. And then I say, and then from there, if we do like a hip, oh, that does not look good. Okay, my, my hypothesis was wrong. And I have to step and do the whole thing until the moves all come together. And I say, oh, that wasn't right. So it's not just this idea of like, I have to think of what the good dance looks like. I have to actually live it out and practice it. And as I'm practicing, I realize, oh, it's not actually quite a perfect fit. Let's try that. Maybe if it's different, if it's two hands, maybe if they're up, you know, like you're just thinking about each little piece. So now once I have embodied it, I have learned how to, in my flesh, demonstrate exactly what I have come up with. Now I have to teach you how to do it. So you look at me doing it and I can't just tell you, yes, you step to the side and put your hands up and make it look good. It's like, no, 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 don't, I can't just like explain that. You gotta show me, how does that look? You know, like pointing the elbow. I'm gonna call this one, uh, I'm gonna call this one, scoop up the sun. Wah! Like you have to, it's very, choreographers know what I'm talking about, where you have to name your moves so that it helps people remember them, right? So scoop the sun. And like, it's, you're just coming up with stuff throughout the whole thing. And then after time, you're in front of people. I physically embody the answer to my question. And then you're asking the same question. How are we going to look good on stage? And I say, this is how. I explain it. I show it. I demonstrate it. And the way I know that I'm finished teaching is when they can do the dance by themselves. Because sooner or later, I'm going to be up on stage with you or I'm going to be off stage because I'm not a part of this dance. And you're going to have to not just know the answer, but live out and demonstrate the answer in your body exactly what the answer to this question is while I'm not around. So what that is, is the entire teaching journey right there. I asked a question, how do we make kids look good on stage? Then I started to explore all the possibilities. I, I like wandering out into the wild of what pieces can I pull together and how can I try and formulate what I believe to be an answer. But then once I come up with what I believe to be the answer, I have to put that into practice. If it works in practice, now maybe it's an actual good idea. And now once I have my answer, once I've become my answer, I now have to teach other people to do the same. That is the five-fold teaching process. Let's unpack this a little bit more. So just to explain what teachers are. So this is again, pulled from 5Q, pulled from myself, pulled from things I found online. The definition of a five-fold teachers, teachers, develop wisdom and understanding in the body of Christ. They are dedicated to unraveling the mysteries of God and his word, living out those principles and sharing them with the rest of the body. That is that thing. So what are teachers? Teachers, they are investigators. They're rooting out answers. They're explorers, wandering into the unknown to try and come back with something of value. They're scientists, testing hypotheses, finding new answers. They're practitioners, living out those answers. They're gold miners. And this is one of my favorite descriptions of them. They're gold miners because teachers find diamonds where others see dirt. And I mean that specifically when it comes to, well, especially when it comes to scripture. You can gloss over a scripture sometime, but a teacher says, I don't understand that. I'm going to understand that. And they say, okay, that looks like dirt. That looks like there's no value in that scripture. And they go, hold on, let's come back. Let's explore. Let me come up with an idea. Let me see how many scriptures this connects to. Let me ask God about it. If I put it into practice, what's going to happen? And then if I'm going to see if that's actually true or not, teachers will find diamonds where others just see dirt. This scripture doesn't matter. That's just a throwaway scripture. Or is it? Says the teacher. So teachers are what I like to call appraisers of truth. 
Now, what is an appraiser? An appraiser is somebody who determines whether or not something has value. And I think a teacher is an appraiser of that truth. They'll say, hey, you think this is a good idea? Let me check that. How does that line up with every other scripture and every other thing in the world and the character of God and what he says in John, what he says in Ecclesiastes and how this all connects? And then they'll put it into practice. And if it works, okay, I appraised it. That's a diamond. And other times they'll bring this truth of just like, I can be a dolphin if I want to. And it's like, okay, let's check that. And then we'll bring those to all those things and say, objectively, completely, totally, that's dirt. That, that Don't follow that. <laughs> like that. That is not truth. That truth is worth zero. So that's what's very helpful though. So they don't only seek answers for themselves. They puzzle out how to best translate their findings to each individual. So in thinking again, in the exploring process, this is great because it's like I had, it was such an odd thing to teach about teaching, but I'll just explain my process while I'm doing it. I asked my question, what is a teacher? I kind of came up with that first answer, but then I have to think about how do I embody that and now how do I explore, right? So then begins the exploration process of what other examples of teachers can I find? And I think a really good place to start is Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes is written by someone who's referred to as the teacher, and you go, okay, well, this is like written by a teacher about teaching. Let's see what the teacher does and if we can learn anything from that. So the teacher who is likely Solomon, just a little fun fact for all you, you know, Bible fans out there. It does not say that the teacher is Solomon, but it says that he wrote Proverbs. It says that he was king in, in Israel. He was like, it was several different clues, like five or six different major clues that all point to the fact like this is probably Solomon who was the wisest man in the world. So sounds like a good teacher. So this teacher... We're going to jump into Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 17 in the NIV. So this is talking about the teacher. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Sounds like Solomon. Let's move on. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. And this is great, too, because you might ask, is he talking about trying to understand everything on the world? Or is he just talking about life is hard? And I'd say either way, I think it's true. So let's move on. Verse 14, I have seen all the things under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. I paused because the first time I read this, I thought dirt. I'm just going to gloss right over that one. I don't know what that means. Straight things can't be crooked. All right, fine. Let's move on. But then I thought of myself and I thought, no, 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 I'm going to have to teach this, which means I'm going to have to have an answer and I'm going to have to test my hypothesis to see if it's true or not. So this is a great example of that. I saw dirt, but I thought, let's see if there's a diamond in there. Just think about that for a second. What's crooked can't be straightened. What's lacking cannot be counted. Uh, what came to mind here was, and here, the spirit of truth within me, I said, God, what does that mean? And what he said is, what is crooked cannot be straightened. You cannot make truth out of a lie. Isn't that actually profound? Maybe that's a diamond. I thought that was just dirt right there. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, if it's not true, I can't force it to be true. It just isn't going to work. So truth is kind of an objective thing. And if you say, oh, my, my truth sounds a little bit like a lie, I better find a way to make it sound more like truth. Like it's a lost cause. Give up. <laughs> Give it up. It's not true and it never will be. Find the real truth, right? What is crooked cannot be... Huh? Gotta dig for diamonds. That's right. And then you dig down deep and you shape it and present it. So, and here's the next thing too. What's the next piece of this one too? What is lacking cannot be counted. 
Okay, let's go back to our idea of appraisers of truth. This is worth $100. And I'm like, look, I did the math. I counted every single dollar. You got 10 bucks here. Like, this is not $100. No, 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 this is $100, bro. I mean, $10, you can't, like, what is, it's not there. What is lacking cannot be counted. I cannot find value where there's no value. So think about that. I was dirt. A second ago, that was just something I glossed over and it didn't make any sense. But the teacher in me said, I want to know the answer. There's a diamond in there somewhere. And all of a sudden I've got this revelation of like, truth cannot come out of lies. It can't happen. And what's lacking cannot be counted. You just can't do it. So anyways, that's just a little free diamond right there in the middle of the message here. But let's move on because we're talking about the teacher here. But the teacher is the one appraising these truths. He's trying to see, can I make this straight? Can I find value in something that looks like it has no value? Let's figure that out. So now into verse 16, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 16. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And even if that's true, it sounds a little little pompous, but you know, whatever. That's fine. He's using it for good. So 17, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly but I learned this too, is a chasing after the wind. I love this of saying like, I'm gonna look at what the crazy people are saying and I'm gonna appraise that. I'm gonna look at the people I disagree with and I'm gonna appraise that. I'm gonna look at the people that no one else is taking seriously and I'm gonna try it. I'm actually gonna go through the process of looking at everyone I agree with and everyone I disagree with and digging and digging and doing until I find out what is the value of this truth. Is there any value in this truth? And that's what Ecclesiastes is not a very encouraging book. It's just, that's meaningless, that's meaningless, useless, waste of time. It's like, okay, come on, dude. Like, so it's, it's not an encouraging read. But here's what I think is very interesting is as he goes through Ecclesiastes, he's talking about all sorts of things. He talks about accomplishment. He talks about pleasure. He talks about power, money, wisdom, wisdom alone. Like how many times in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes it say like, get wisdom, like, it, like your life depends on it. Like wisdom is one of the most important things you could ever pursue in your lifetime. What's the title of the chapter? Wisdom is meaningless. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? And what I think is so cool about the story of Ecclesiastes is as he's appraising each of these truths, the conclusion he comes to at the end of Ecclesiastes is fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Basically, love the Lord your heart with all your mind, soul, strength. Uh, and the, uh, well, the second is like it. But anyways, that idea of love God is really what it all comes down to. And I thought about how can someone who's such a, an advocate for wisdom say that wisdom is meaningless? And in digging around a little bit more, what he's saying here is that a- applying yourself to wisdom alone is meaningless. That's chasing after the wind. And to me, again, that same question of like, the teacher doesn't stop it. Like, that's confusing. The teacher says, tell me more. What's the answer? Explain this to me, God. Spirit of truth inside of me, speak to me. What does this actually mean? Let me understand you. And what I found there is that wisdom for the sake of wisdom is meaningless. Just knowing it isn't gonna save me. Wisdom itself is not gonna hold me and comfort me. Wisdom itself is not going to do anything for me. It just sits in my head useless. It is meaningless until it is actually put into practice. But even if I do absolutely every single wise thing I know how to do, meaningless. Because wisdom is great, but wisdom is not God. So even at the end of it, wisdom, the thing he, he advocates for more than anything else, it's like, it's still not enough. You still got to go to God. 
Wisdom alone is not enough. And I think that's such an important lesson for teachers to learn. And I think that's like, what a great example. Like I read Ecclesiastes and think about like, this is my life. Like I have just tried to think through everything. And I believe in myself somehow that if I just figure it all out, then I'll have all the answers and I'll be okay and I'll be happy. Have any, anyone, has anyone ever reached that point? where you figured it all out and you're finally happy. Aiken heads, you guys got it. <laughs> I like that both of you raised your hand. John, was your hand up? I didn't see you back there. <laughs> Good, I hope you're listening today. So, <laughs> so anyways, we get to the end of Ecclesiastes. And actually, let me actually pause there for a second. That's a real thing there. Have any of you ever believed, like, if I just accomplish enough, then I'll be Okay. And if I just like, if I just found a way to add more pleasure to my life, if I just had more dopamine in my life, then I would be happy and everything would be okay. If I had more power, if people would just listen to me and if I had money, then I would be okay. Like what Solomon is saying here, what the teacher is saying here is like, guys, stop. It's, none of it is going to be enough. None of it is going to actually fill that hole. None of it is going to bring you the peace and the relationship that you desire. Only God can do that. Wisdom itself, even if you actually figure out everything, still not enough, meaningless. You still got to go to God. That's pretty interesting when the wisest person in the world gives you that advice. I think that's worth listening to. So then Ecclesiastes 12, the end of the chapter, NIV. So now this is, this is now the author. So Ecclesiastes has the author who then presents what the teacher says. And at the end, author writes his conclusion on what the teacher has spoken. And what the author says about the teacher in verse 9 uh, says, uh, not only was the teacher wise, uh, Ecclesiastes 12.9, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He didn't just know it for himself, he gave it away. He pondered, searched out, and set in order many proverbs. Once again, sounds kind of like Solomon. Uh, 10, uh, the teacher ser- searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. And verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. So I love that teachers are not trying to learn things just for their own sake. A fivefold teacher there is to learn things so that they can be shared. This is kind of the hero's journey for a teacher is I go off and explore into the unknown and my whole mindset, all of my beliefs might be completely cracked open and I might feel empty and scared and confused, but then maybe in the middle of this confusion, I'm gonna find something I didn't have before. And that's actually gonna allow me to return back stronger than ever before. And then by the time I've completed my hero's journey, I have some new thing of value, some new revelation that is shared with the people. That's the heroic teacher right there. So the teacher uses just the right words. And I love that you read Proverbs and it's like, this is so simple. It's like every single verse in Proverbs is in itself its own truth. It's just diamond, 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 every single one. And that's what a teacher does. They've boiled down the whole of scripture and the whole of human life and the human experience and boiled it down into diamond, 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 diamond. Like that's unbelievable, really cool. But then you also think about how the book of Proverbs alone is still not enough the result of what a teacher can do and explaining everything exactly like it should be, still not enough, still need God. Life is still confusing and it's not the whole story because these things, I can give you the answer, but it's a lot better if you can find the answer yourself. That's what a teacher knows. So that's what a good coach knows as well. And here's the last part. I love this one too. 11, 
Uh, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Glossed over the word goads, right? That's dirt. Let's just move right along. Wait a minute, or is it a diamond? Let's check it out. Now, I love this part too. Goads. What's a goad? Anybody know the answer to that? Of course you do, Pastor Joe. Come on. You read King James. You know what everything means. Uh, so, <laughs> But what is a goad? A goad is essentially a cattle prod. You think it's a big old stick that I'm going to poke you with it. It's going to, like, it's going to shock you. It's going to hurt a little bit. That's interesting. The words of the wise are like things that poke and prod and shock. Like, what? <laughs> that doesn't sound very comfortable. Interesting. Let's think about that for a second. If you think about cattle, cattle are, let's think about cattle on a farm, right? They're in a place where a farmer says, inside of the boundaries of the land I have prepared for you, there is food, there is water, there is shelter, there is comfort. I can protect you here. You can have community here. So basically, if the cow ever leaves the space where the farmer has prepared for the cow to be fruitful and happy and safe and peaceful and secure, if the cow ever leaves the farm, it's going to be much worse off in the wilderness. So you'd say, well, you shouldn't poke a cow. Like that's just to shock someone to poke them. Like that sounds painful. It doesn't sound very nice. But the teacher knows, hey, a little shock now to keep you on the farm is a lot better than me saying, oh, I don't want to poke you. And I just watch this cow just walk off into the wilderness to either starve, you know, drown itself, fall off a cliff. Is that better for the cow? It's a really good question. And Yes, that's ex that is in my notes, Ray. You are on target. That is good. That is very, that's a five-fold teacher right there, everybody. So, <laughs> but that's true. You say teachers give the truths that you need to hear, even if it's not the truth you want to hear. Point, points, Ray, bonus point. Because uh, that's true. You think about sometimes someone saying like, hey, I don't think what you're doing is biblical or wise or good for you. Ah, that stings. I did not like hearing that correction. But if I don't get the sting where I keep walking right off a cliff, that's going to be significantly worse than that quick little poke and prod. This is the concept of discipline. And you know that Solomon believes a lot in this because all throughout Proverbs, it talks a lot about this. Fools ignore wise words. They ignore rebuke. Those are the cows that say, no, no, get that prod out of here. I'm good. Up, oh, gone. Like it's it's the fool that does not want to be prodded. And you could say, well, sure, it doesn't feel good to be prodded, but it feels worse to die, especially if it's a long, slow, painful death as I just keep wandering my way through the desert. And you think about, man, if I would have just made a shift, if I would have just allowed somebody to correct me, I might still be in the promised land. I might still be in my father's house. You, know, you think about even the prodigal son when he leaves home, maybe he just needed a like, little correction of like, oh yeah, that's right. Things actually are better at home. I think I'll stay here. You know, wouldn't that have been better if he had stayed at home rather than gone off to die? So teachers are people who sometimes they can feel very critical because they'll offer very wise words that are true, but they don't feel good. Give the teacher some grace because what they're sharing might actually be exactly what you need, even if it doesn't feel good. And then the other part of that. So and again, too, words of the wise are like goads. Glossed right over that. There's a diamond in there. Solomon's revelation of discipline is in that word. That's a diamond. And then the next part too. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Given by one shepherd, who is the great shepherd? That is Jesus. Firmly embedded nails. What I wrote down there was that every, even every house of God that is built without the truth 
is just a house of cards. It can come tumbling down at any second. So without the teachers that when we say, hey, we're pursuing the fivefold ministry, when the teachers in our church say, that is good, that is right, that is in the Bible, Jesus modeled it, commanded it to do so. There is collected materials. It connects with who his person is and how the church is supposed to be. Knock that one in. Like that's not going anywhere. Like that is now a foundational piece that like no matter how hard you push and blow and no matter how hard you huff and puff, it's just not gonna come down because that is secure. The teachers have put a firmly embedded nail into that truth. That's something we can build on. I was re- telling a story of the, uh, of the three little pigs to Avery last night, so that's fresh on the mind. Um, anyways, so let's move on to saying, okay, well, we have the teacher, right, of Ecclesiastes. Let's move on to how did Jesus model it? Because if the fivefold graces are all different things that were carried by Jesus, if Jesus himself gave these gifts, that means he first had them to give them. So how did Jesus model the teaching gift? Well, first off, he was often referred to as teacher or rabbi. Okay, what's a rabbi? A teacher. Okay, he was literally referred to as teacher so many times throughout scripture. And he was qualified to teach the truths of the word because he is the truth and he is the word. So, I mean, I don't know how much more qualification you could possibly need. And I thought this was fun. There was a quote by John Stott who said, Jesus was at once the teacher, the classroom, and the curriculum. So what Jesus taught was himself, which he taught by himself. And it's only revealed when we are in Christ. So he is the teacher, the thing being taught, and the place in which we learn it. Like, (laughs) there's no possible better teacher than Jesus. Like, I don't understand how you could ever make a case for that. So when you say Jesus was a great teacher, oh, yeah. Uh, so, and something else I love about Jesus too is that in 5Q, they said that Jesus wasn't just about knowing the truth. He was about being the truth. So he was the word made flesh. So like choreography, he didn't just know the truth. When he moved, you could see the truth. The way that he spoke, the way that he would lift people up, people would look at that and have a revelation because his body, his being was the truth. He didn't just know the answers, he was the answers. So he put it into his flesh and the way 5Q puts it was in Jesus, ethics became ethos. So a way of thinking became a way of being. Uh, And yeah, 5Q says this, Jesus taught people wherever and whenever he could. He chose, instructed and guided disciples at various levels of intensity, teaching them his way and the ways of the God of Israel. He actually recast the Torah by fulfilling it. His teachings were eloquent, simplicity beyond complexity, and were therefore accessible by the simplest and the wisest minds alike. The medium of his life was its message, the truth and the light. He is the greatest teacher ever. And that is out of our 5Q book. And what I love about that is that it was understandable by the wisest and the simplest alike, meaning that Jesus was not trying to impress people He was actually trying to help people. I'm going to meet you where you're at. When I'm teaching choreography, the way I'm going to teach a six-year-old is different than how I'm going to teach a college student. It's different. But no matter where you're at, I want you to get this. I want you to be able to understand this truth. Teachers not about impressing everybody. They're about actually solving the problem. And here's what I love too. Let's go to John 14, just to hammer this in a little bit more. John 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't just know it, do it. If you love me, he doesn't say, if you love me, know my commandments. If you love me, keep them, be them. That's very interesting. 
Verse 16, and if you keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. This is what we're calling the mind of Christ. When you think about that, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit that knows all truth is in you always. And let's jump down to verse 25. And this I have spoken while still with you in 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, this is really interesting because the spirit of truth inside of us, I would say is like our our gut feeling or some people that can just intuit things. Like as a teacher, it bothers me sometimes when someone's just like, I'm gonna do this, why? I don't know, it just feels right. I'm like, okay, and then they're right. Like that bothers me. I'm like, you didn't even, you didn't study it. You didn't practice it. You didn't read a single book about this topic and you just got the answer. Like, and it's like, it came straight from heaven, right into your mind. You didn't even have to work for it. And they go, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. And I go, so, <laughs> so here's the cool thing. Let's say I'm not a five-fold teacher. I can't study. I can't read. It doesn't feel right. You still have the spirit of truth inside of you and you can intuit heavenly truths and realities even if you're not going to absolutely study out every single thing. But here's what I love about a teacher is that a teacher can say, someone might say, I implicitly, basically invisibly, I just know the answer. But the teacher can say, can observe that and say, now I'm going to explain why that's true. So you might just feel it, but a teacher can understand how to absorb it, craft it, refine it, shape it, and find the best possible way to communicate it to somebody else. So they turn implicit truths into explicit truths. Um, yeah, so I said, uh, if you don't know the answer, maybe your spirit will know the answer. But I said, but better than feeling the truth is understanding the truth. And better than understanding the truth is communicating the truth. So one last story that I think is really funny, uh, just a story of me learning to be a teacher. Back in the day, years ago, we were teaching on power evangelism, I believe. And I was teaching about the gifts of the spirit. And I felt, you know, well, I think I was actually appointed to that by my father-in-law. I said, hey, you're going to teach on this. I'm like, oh, I haven't done it though. So it's like, well, then same thing, like in high school, you're going to choreograph the dance. I was like, oh, then I better figure out how to do it before I teach it. So when you said, Dan, you're going to teach on power evangelism, I'm like, sweet, I better do it before I teach about it. And what was funny is I, I went to the mall. This is such a funny story to me. I went to the mall, no idea what I was doing. Very young, you know, like in terms of my familiarity with the Holy Spirit. You know, I haven't, I did not have like a long line of miracles where I was confident anything was going to work. But I thought, okay, I think I know the answer, but now it's time to live it out. Let's see if I can actually test my hypothesis. Let's see if it works. So I go to the mall and I spend like an hour scared talking to nobody. And I sit down eventually just kind of defeated. Like, I'm so scared. I don't want to do this. I'm so confused. And then I feel two guys sit down behind me on this bench and I feel God saying, clear as day, pray for this guy. I was like, no, like I'm almost going to quit now. Like, don't tell me to do something before I give up. And uh, he's like, yep, go pray for this guy. And so I kind of like look over my shoulder and he's a, a huge, very tall man with a long ponytail on the back of his head, but completely bald on the top of his head. 
And he was, he, I think he was just coming out a hot topic or something. There was a super tall guy dressed all in black and then a really short guy with him that was honestly about half his size. It was kind of funny. Uh, but so both of these guys are walking around and I'm sitting there just like, pray for this guy, pray for this, pray for this guy. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to. I'm not going to do it. I'm scared. And they get up and they start leaving. And then God's like, go get him. I'm like, ah, so, and I know, and this is the thing. I know I have to teach about this on Sunday. So I'm like, oh, I got to do this. So I run back over. I stopped them and I say, hey, I, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, um, can I pray for you guys? Uh, and they're like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you know, I, I don't know if you believe in Jesus, but yeah, you know, he gives like the Holy Spirit and he can like do miracles and he just wants me to pray for you right now. And they're like, okay. So... <laughs> So I walk up to this guy, you know, and I kind of like put a, put a hand on his arm and I just start praying. God, thank you so much for this guy. Uh, I know you love him and you're great. And I hear clear as day, pray for his hair. I'm like, no. And <laughs> I'm like, that can be a soft spot for bald guys. No pun intended. Uh, and I'm sitting there. And at this point, at this point, I'm like, well, I've come this far. So I just say, I'm like, um, so I feel like God's telling me to pray for your, your hair. Uh, and he's just like, okay. And I was like, um, but he also says to lay hands on people. So can I put my hands on your head? And, <laughs> and at this point, he was in the same thing and being like, we've come this far. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, okay. So this tall guy, I'm like on tiptoes trying to reach the top of this guy's head. I'm like, look. Give this guy hair again, um, because I believe you can restore it. You are the redeemer and restorer. If you could bring the dead back to life, you can bring this man's hair back. And <laughs> like we finished, take my hands off. His head's all sweaty, so I have oily fingers now. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay. And then <laughs> he, he sits there and he looks at the guy next to him and back to me. He's like, well, that was weird. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> just leaves. <laughs> and I'm just there like, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> so, and here's the funny thing. And then I taught about it and I taught what I had learned and I shared that story. And it was funny because the revelation I got from that was, okay, I did not, <laughs> I don't know if it works. It's like he, he left, the hair did not just poof, like appear. So when he was gone, I just went walking home feeling like a failure about just like, that was so stupid. Like, I'm never going to do this again. And then the revelation I got on the drive home, God just kind of one little pat on the back. Good job, buddy. You did it. And uh, what he said to me in that point was saying, you didn't see his hair come back, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. And you might not be around when it happens, but because you were faithful, that's going to happen. And he also said, when this guy sees his hair come back, he's going to know exactly who did it. God. God brought my hair back. And he can walk around thinking, that's ridiculous. God brought my hair back? Seriously? Like, out of all the things the Lord of the universe can do, he decided he would spend his time on my hair coming back? Like, what the heck? And now this guy is going to have to wrestle with the fact that a guy walked up to me saying that God wants you to have hair and now you have hair. And you might think, well, that story sounds so silly, but, and I may never know if that man has hair, but if he does, God has just performed a miracle in that man's life because I was willing to look silly to see God move. So that is where the word becomes flesh. I said, I can't teach it unless I've lived it. I have to actually participate in it for me to truly understand it. So anyways, 
let's kind of summarize a couple things here. What does teaching grace enable us to do? When we say that we have people who have this teaching grace of God, that gift of grace in the area of teaching, teaching grace enables people to comprehend the mysteries of God through knowledge and understanding as well as experience the word becomes flesh as it is digested by the body. Teachers are well attuned to the spirit of truth. They break down the elephant of scripture into bite-sized pieces, like Proverbs. They might take something like the whole of Ecclesiastes and give it to you in one bite-sized piece like I did today. That was quite a summary, but the the diamonds that are hidden inside of that book, here's some of them. Um, So I wrote down a couple things. This is fun. They break down the elephant of Scripture into bite-sized pieces. Scripture is our spiritual food, and the teachers make sure we are well-fed because, after all, you are what you eat. So if we are going to be Christ, we better be eating the spirit of truth, the Word of God, the truth incarnate. If we eat that, we become what we're eating. So teachers make sure we are well-fed. So a couple other nuggets here. We're just going to fly through these. These are all the things that we're going to put on Instagram someday. Confusion halts transformation. When you're confused, I can't step forward because I don't know what to do about that. Teachers conquer confusion. The teacher will clear the confusion so that you can step with confidence in in whatever direction God is calling you to do. Second one, teachers use their cattle prods of wisdom to keep us all from wandering off. That's a good thing. (laughs) It doesn't always feel good, but it's a very good thing. Teachers defend against false doctrine. They keep us from going crazy. If all of a sudden we started saying, we're going to try to levitate at this church and we're going to start praying to God and another guy I heard about online. It's like, no, hold on. <laughs> Cattle probably, no, God only also levitation. What? Like they're going to be the ones to say like, hold on. We're going to make sure that whatever we're getting excited about, whatever we think we're hearing from God, we're going to make sure it's actually in line with God's word, his character and his instruction Teachers keep us from going crazy. That's really useful. Teachers will filter our prophecy as well. And the phrase that came to mind was smell it before you eat it. (laughs) I'll say, hey, hey, God told me I'm supposed to amputate my leg for his name. And the teacher goes, hold on, wait, let's appraise that real quick. Does that, when did God ever say, cut off your limbs for his glory. It's like, well, they said, if your right hand offends you, cut up. Hold on. Let's, does that line up with his character? So he's going to filter the prophecy to say, is this actually from God or is this your emotions? Or is this just a good idea? Or is this some other influence that's talking to you? They filter our prophetic words. So prophets, teachers, you guys are going to be real good friends. All right. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say friends, family. Let's say that. Hopefully friends, definitely family. You know what I mean. Next one, teachers create tools that refine unfathomable mysteries into practical instruction. That's pretty cool. And I like this one. Teachers turn moments of revelation into timeless traditions with generational understanding. So it's not just, I heard something from God one time. The teacher says, hold on, how can we monumentalize that revelation? How can we build a practice that allows us to make sure we don't forget that? Like a teacher, the teacher was the one who came up with communion, was a way of saying, I'm not just going to explain to you what communion is. I'm actually going to build in a tradition that makes sure that every generation after yours will never forget this revelation. That's what a teacher can do. And last thing, teachers don't just want to answer the question themselves. They want everyone to know the answer. They want, and this is what I, well, I'll get to that in a second. How do they work with the other gifts? 
This is a good one too. We have our fivefold, right? We have our apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, shepherd. So how do they work with the other gifts? Teachers and apostles. Apostles get the vision from God, but teachers get the instruction from God. They say, that's a cool vision. The apostles get the what we're doing. The teachers get the how we're gonna do it. And they're gonna make sure that everybody knows it. Prophets bring raw material from God. I heard this, this is cool, this is fresh. And then the teachers refine that raw material. They will process it. If it needs to get washed up a little bit, if it's rotten, it needs to be thrown out. Or if it's great and everybody needs a bite of this, whatever that is, teachers can help again, appraise that truth that comes from God. Teachers help you understand truth, but shepherds help you live out that truth. A teacher can say, hey, this is the truth. This is the word of God. Put that into your flesh. Then the shepherd's the one who meets with them every single week or every single day and says, how are we gonna do that today? How, they're the coaches that are right alongside them. Hey, let's do this together. Let's make a small group. We're all gonna try and embody that truth that we just learned. Um, an evangelist will bring in spiritual babies, but teachers raise them into spiritual adults. So teachers, actually, when we're talking about spiritual maturity being one of the results of the fivefold, that's one of the teacher's jobs is to make sure we are all wise, competent, capable adults who embody the things that we say we believe. So a couple warnings to our teachers. Uh, teachers can get frustrated by prophets and apostles uh, because what they hear is unfiltered. Some teachers will say, I get turned off to prophecy because this guy got it wrong. And you get, hold on, teacher, you're forgetting your job. You're supposed to talk to the person who got it wrong. You need your cattle prod and they need it too. Like don't get turned off to prophecy, become a part of prophecy, work together on this. Don't, don't despise prophecy, be a part of it. Uh, teachers can often become dogmatic and obsessed with being right. That's a tricky thing. Unity can be a struggle for teachers sometimes because unless everybody sees it my way, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's not really great for friendship. Um, and I like how Danny Silk said it. He was talking about teachers and he said, when a teacher's up there preaching, they say, and the world will know that we are Christians because we were right. It's like, not quite. It's important that we're right, but also what about love? It's important that we're right, but not as important as love. We talked about how truth has different weight to it. They're meant to be in an order. There are big truths and little truths. Love is more important than being correct or theologically correct. Uh, Romans 14 is a great read for that because that talks about someone who, you eat meat and you say you do it for God, you don't eat meat and you do that for God. The thing that's important about that whole thing is saying, even the person who's theologically right, you can't eat meat, you have permission from God, it's in the Bible, but the other person who's not doing it, but still trying their best to follow God, leave them alone. They're wrong, yeah, leave them alone, <laughs> love them. Don't, don't prove them wrong. Don't get out your notes and, you know, smack them on the back of the head. Like, love them first, and then maybe someday you'll agree. And I like this too, Romans 14, 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your opinions, destroy someone for whom Christ died. You're theologically correct, but you're relationally wrong. And then one other very important reminder for us teachers out there, 1 Corinthians 13, read like your niece at a wedding. I'm not gonna do that today. But number one, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Two, if I have the gift of prophecy and teachers, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. 
I have every correct answer in the world. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Zero. When a person who needs to meet Jesus shows up and you say, hey, this is where you're wrong. They walk away offended. You walk away unchanged. No love has occurred. There is no victory for the Lord in that. So love is way more important than perfect theology. And I'll say one of the loneliest times of my life where I was alone six or seven days a week for about a year was the time when I was increasing in my knowledge. It was like late game of college where I was doing pre-med. I know the answer to everything I've been studying and learning. I had more knowledge than I ever had and fewer friends than I've ever had. I don't think that's a coincidence. The scriptures are great, but they are not God. Teachers love that Bible, but it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, Holy Bible. The book alone can't save you. Wisdom alone can't save you. It's meaningless without a connection to the Creator. So teachers, we need our apostles and prophets to remind us that God speaks and relates Him. And our evangelists and shepherds need to remind us that God is a relational God. Teachers cannot forget to engage their heart on these things. Don't forget, love is still more important than you being correct. And if you being correct causes you to separate from family, you're out of order. You got to realign a couple things. So I'll just skip to the very end here to say, if you're a teacher, what do you do next? You're a part of the fivefold body. You have a grace given to you by God to feed this body. What do I do with that? Well, number one, and I like this, solve a mystery. That's your first assignment. Solve a mystery. You detectives out there, you investigators, there's so many questions. God is big and vast and it seems impossible to comprehend, but you've been given a grace to figure it out. If you have a question about what about tithing? What about the Holy Spirit? What about prophecy? What about the gifts of God? What about the fivefold ministry? Figure it out, solve it. You have a grace to do that, solve the mystery. And then what I like, test your hypothesis, live it out. See if you can put it into practice in your own life because if it works, other people are gonna need it. And then that last thing, find a way to communicate your new revelation. Do you wanna lead a small group? Do you wanna to talk to an individual? Do you wanna do a five minute fuel? Whatever it is, find an answer. Turn that word into flesh, embody the answer, and then share that in some way. And the last question, how can I be equipped by a teacher? If you're saying, well, I don't have a teaching grace at all. Okay, well, there's people in here that do have it. And if you're wondering, well, if I have to be equipped by the other grace of the body, how do I be equipped by a teacher? One, ask yourself what you don't know. And be honest about this. At family parties as a kid, 70 people parties for aunts and uncles that I never saw, I didn't know like 10 of their names. But when I was like 18, I'm like, it's just rude to ask now. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I can never have relationship with them if I don't answer this question. Because that, again, confusion halts transformation. I cannot progress in love if I don't know the answer. So what in your life right now? I don't know the answer. I actually don't know what's up with tithing. Like, I don't know if that's a practice, if that's a law thing, or if that's a grace thing, or how I should put that into practice. I actually don't really know much about the Holy Spirit. I know that the church believes in it, but I don't really understand it. Be honest with yourself. What do you not know? Because until you can admit that you don't know it, you're never going to learn it. Because humility comes before understanding. Second, find someone who knows the answer or better yet, find someone who looks like the answer. Don't ask a poor person how to get rich. They might know all the answers, but it's not in their body yet. If it were, you would see the fruit of it. You could look at them and know you have the answer that I need. So find someone who knows the answer or better yet, someone who looks like the answer. 
And lastly, live out what you've learned. They'll show you the dance with their own, I, I learned it, it's in my head now, and I know every move, now you do it. You do the dance, you figure it out. Do it until you can do it with confidence. Do it until you're not just technically correct, but you can actually like, you know, embellish it a little bit, like learn the dance. There's so much to learn. So anyways, before I leave to you, I just want to impart this teaching grace to everyone in the room right now, because this is a grace that can be given to others, right? This is something it's designed to equip others. Today, I hope you feel equipped. You feel like mysteries got solved. You have new diamonds that you, used to, that you just saw dirt before. I hope this was a value to you. Every time we teach, we're just trying to present diamonds, understanding, how do we live out this thing called truth? How do we live and embody this person of Jesus Christ? I hope that's what you got here today. And today I wanna to impart this same grace unto you. If you could stand with me. So if you could just have your hands in front of you like you're ready to receive something because I'm gonna put something in your hands, but you gotta take it. Can't force it on you. Father God, I impart this grace of teaching to every person in this room. Some people here already have it, I give them more. Some people don't have it, they have it now. God, I impart this gift of grace. It was freely given to me and I freely give it to others. God, unravel the mystery of who you are. Bring clarity where there was confusion. Give us a hunger to solve these mysteries of who you are. God, there's so much knowledge and depth and understanding and truth of who you are hidden in your word. God, give us the spirit of kings that seeks it out. God, empower us, strengthen us, give us clarity and a hunger for your revelation, for your truth. And then God, help us to be honest about what we don't know, to find answers that we can confidently walk out in our lives, that we can be living examples of who you are. Not just that we would know the answer, but that we would be the answer. God, we just ask for your grace right now, your teaching grace, the mind of Christ. Thank you, God, for this gift of grace. We accept it willingly and gratefully. Thank you, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anything else? That's it, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Mm -hmm. Woo! Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. If you enjoyed that message, please subscribe and share us with your friends. We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the body of Christ and wants to have a relationship with us as He guides us toward our destiny. If you'd like to partner with us in your giving, please check out our website at www.familylife.cc giving. Or you can text GIVE to 844-955-0993. Thank you for listening and stay blessed.